Join founder of I Am a Watchman Ministries, Scott Townsend, with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View from the Wall. Welcome to today's episode of A View from the Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs, along with I Am a Watchman founder Scott Townsend, and thank you for joining us today. In today's episode, we are joined by author, conference speaker, and Bible prophecy apologist Eric Barger. Eric, welcome to A View from the Wall. Dylan, it's, it's great to be with you, and Scott, thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you as well. And for those who may not be familiar with your work, Eric, writing or who may not have heard you speak in the past, tell us a little bit about your ministry, Take a Stand Ministries. What is the driving force behind your ministry, your writing, and your teachings? Well, it started out uh, 36 years ago as just a a one-session seminar dealing with the problems in the music industry, uh, which I had come out of. I was a rock musician, uh, also a record producer, recording engineer. I managed studios. Uh, I was a professional drug addict, alcoholic, and new ager at the same time. But uh, (laughs) when, when I got saved and cleaned up and the Lord began to call us to ministry, though we had no clue what that really meant and just kind of or just kind of walking blindly following whatever we believed that God wanted us to do. And I say us, my wife and I together, um, we, we started, right. or I started doing it. It's one night seminar on, uh, on music. And that's now turned into the ministry that, that we have today. And, and so I travel pretty much full time. I've traveled uh, in years past much more than I am today. Uh, this year, I'll probably be on the road oh, 125 days or so. Uh, years past, it was oh. nothing to be on the road 200, 220, or 30, 40 days. So Goodness. in this era that I'm in, uh, it's about half conferences and half local churches. And uh, of course, I help Jan Markell in radio as well. And we, uh, right. we do lots of YouTubes and lots of videos and that kind of thing. So just um, just trying to do what the Lord has called us to do and just watch for Him and watch for where He wants us to go next and what topics we're supposed to pick up on next. Eric, as you've said, you've been in ministry for over 36 years. You've seen a lot of changes in the church over those decades. We've witnessed many missteps and compromises and errors that threaten the health of the church in recent years. What message is the church most hungry for in 2019 versus, let's say, 10 or 20 years ago? It isn't necessarily what the church is hungry for. It's what I think they're missing and maybe don't realize, but I think a comprehensive, full look at the scriptures and uh, not just the cherry picking of things that are convenient or maybe make us feel good or will somehow in our minds think that we're going to assure ourselves of making sure people come back the next Sunday. But we need the whole counsel of God. And sometimes when God is trying to get a hold of us and he's trying to, to bring correction or change in our lives, it's not always comfortable, but um, uh, it's rather rather what we need to hear rather than just what we want to hear. So maybe that's a change I've seen in the church at large. When I say the church, I'm talking about the the once evangelical, once Bible-believing church that once followed the scriptures. And today it's it's uh, people who claim they're Christians, and I'm not going to make the judgment on whether they are or aren't without a better understanding of somebody personally. But, but I will say that um, uh, I think from the pulpits, we need to hear the whole counsel of God instead of just the feel-good Gospels. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And as a matter of fact, uh, there's a new and building awareness, actually, that church leadership and those they pastor are now realizing that we need to kind of return to basics a little bit more. And by that, I mean that we need to seek to elevate the deep roots of the Word of God and our faith above some of the more recent trends that you, Jan Markell, and others are talking about with increasing urgency. What are your impressions about that? You know, if the church in our everyday lives, wherever we are, and I'm talking about individually or maybe if there's two or three of us together, if, if, if we can't express to someone why we believe in the deity of Christ or in the resurrection, if we can't give them a, a quick synopsis without uh, necessarily having to quote lots of scripture to them or make them feel uncomfortable, if we can't tell the world why we believe that Jesus is indeed the Savior and the only way to be saved, uh, with the resurrection leading the way, then we, how can we really express the gospel? It's just not enough to tell somebody, hey, you need to come to church, you need to have a, a better friends, you need to have a, uh, a safer place to go with nicer people. Uh, it's, it's not about the good music and how comfortable our seats are. Uh, it's about the life-changing eternal gospel. And the church, I think, needs to uh, be made aware of that. And of course, a lot of people in the church understand those things, and that is the core of the way they live. And they, they're out there ready to express, ready to give every man an answer for the hope that lies within us, First Peter 3.15. They're able to do that. But a lot of the rank-and-file Christians uh, they are making the right moves in the fact that they get in the car and come to church on Sunday morning, but uh, there's not a whole lot of study after. And a part of uh, the way we know that people really aren't understanding some of the basics of Christianity is how many churches have decided because of convenience sake they've eliminated Sunday school. There's no continuing teaching going on. I know it would make somebody like uh, Dr. Elmer Towns, who was once called Mr. Sunday School, it would make him very uncomfortable to see uh, what is happening in a lot of our churches. And I'm knowing him personally, I can tell you that he's one, and there's many others who would who would feel the same way, including my old mentor, Dr. Walter Martin. Wow, that's really something. And you know, it's interesting that I'm hearing more about the fact that the church growth movement and some of the new uh, you know, business-like aspects of the church are actually being questioned now in terms of their effectiveness, don't you think? Oh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Many churches have, uh, have thrown out the model they lived by since their inception, which may have been 100 plus years ago, saying, well, that isn't bringing the people in and it's not going to affect the young people today or the millennials won't accept it or whatever the, the uh, talk has been. But uh, I don't want to beleaguer church growth because we all want to see the church grow. But what are we going to show them? What are we going to tell them? What are we going to express to them once we get them there? So growth is great. But growth has to be based on the Word of God. And let's remember that, you know, all the plans we have, they should be put under the microscope of Scripture because really it's not us that build the church. It's God. If we'll follow God, then we'll, we'll minister exactly and carefully to those that he brings before us. Uh, so we get the cart before the horse when we think that, that it's just our wonderful charismatic way, you know, how we express ourselves and, or how we dress or dress down or however we, you know, the changes we may have made along the way. 
I'm not for necessarily walking in, in any of the, the many standards that people have had in the past about the way they walk or the music they play and all those things. But I do think everything has got to pass the test of Scripture. And just keep in mind that, hey, God, this is God's church. It's not our church. It's God's church. And we need to respect that and respect that His Word must lead the way. Well, we hope you're enjoying this fascinating conversation with Eric Barger, and we're going to take a quick break. Stick with us, and we'll be right back on A View from the Wall. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. We're talking with author and speaker Eric Barger. And as we come back from the break, Scott, I know you had a question you wanted to ask about discernment. Get us started in this segment, if you would. Sure. We love that you describe your ministry as Christian apologetics and discernment. That element gets left out of the message sometimes. What is discernment and how does that figure into apologetics? Well, it's really using what apologetics is all about. Um, apologetics itself is, is a word that says to the world that we are defending or giving a defense for our faith. It's not that we're defensive. It's not that we're trying to be offensive, but we're giving a defense of what we believe. And discernment really is discerning the areas that we need to be apologetic with. So I look at apologetics and discernment going hand in hand. Two different parts of really the same type of ministry. Um, discernment, a lot of people just say, well, I'm in a discernment ministry, and I understand what they mean when they say that. Others say I'm a Christian apologist, and I get that. I think we're really both if we're doing the, the whole job. And there's another word that uh, I'll throw in the mix, too, and it's it's one that some have heard, I'm sure, but many probably are not sure what it means. That's polemics. And polemics is comparative religion. It's comparing um, the other world religions, it's comparing the, the cults or belief systems that are around us, New Age philosophies, occult philosophies, all those kind of things. And when you compare those to Christianity, you're doing discernment and apologetics and then exposing what is wrong about some of the other religions. And of course, the key thing is none of them can save anybody eternally. And some of them, they might be just uh, fine to live by here on the earth and not destructive to you or anybody else. But, you know, the second you breathe your last breath, you recognize how awful the decision was to follow that instead of following the risen Savior. Well, those are good words. And as we continue our talk about discernment, it makes me think of Matthew 24. For example, Matthew 24, 42 is a foundational verse for watchmen in the last days where Jesus commanded us to keep watch, to be ready. So watchmen hear these phrases a lot, but for those who may be hearing them for the first time, what does it mean when Jesus says to keep watch and how can Christians be ready for the Lord's return? Well, the Apostle Paul says nearly the same thing. Uh, You think about uh, what he says to Timothy there in Second Timothy 3, and as he builds up to say there's a crown of righteousness for all those who love his appearing. So we're watching for the Lord, that's for sure. And in Matthew 24, um, of course, a pivotal end times passage, Matthew 24 teaches a lot of stuff. You could, you know, you could spend a long time teaching through that if you do it expositorily. But um, right. uh, I think it's all about watching for the Lord and keeping watch in the day that we're in. 
uh, I come back to that uh, famous scripture that so many of us have quoted so many times in First Chronicles twelve thirty two, and it uh, it speaks of the men of Issachar who were the smallest of the the tribes, the twelve tribes, and the one that the least is known about. But they were men who had understanding of the day they lived in, and then they knew how to respond and how to how to lead in that day. So that's that's who we want to be as people who understand the times and know what we should do. Eric, if we take a look at uh, Matthew twenty four forty four, where it says, For this reason, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect. We cannot know the day or hour, the exact date Jesus will rapture the church, but we are called to know the times and seasons. We're not date setters at I Am a Watchman, and we also know that you are not either. Can you explain the difference between those phrases, day and hour? versus times and seasons for our listeners, please? I'm not sure that we can really say there's a difference there. He's making sure that they didn't miss the point, that we won't know the day or the hour of his return. But we will understand in the seasons because of the signs around us. Uh, He left us lots of clues in Matthew 24, and that's not the only spot. But we see many of the the signs that that Jesus refers to. We see at least the pre-fulfillment of those signs taking place today. There are those that argue that what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 is only going to happen in the seven-year tribulation or after. And uh, I'm one who says, hey, I'm seeing these signs around me. Uh, this morning when I woke up and looked outside here in the Seattle area where I live, uh, we don't get a lot of snow in March, but this week it snowed every day, at least where I live. That's rare. But I know, because I see the buds on the trees, that spring is coming. The sign is there for me to understand, even though people go about their business doing their daily uh, work and, and activities and family and so on, we go about our, our own way and and maybe don't realize the signs are with us and the big one the king sign as as i'm sure you guys have talked about and probably ministered on uh is that israel became a state in 1948 and the clock is ticking that's the point the clock is ticking and we're watching at least the pre-fulfillment if not a direct fulfillment of things talked about in matthew 24 and and other places in scripture second thessalonians 2 comes to mind so we we see these things happening Indeed. And no one really likes to wait. Uh, There's an increasing yearning in the body of Christ for the Lord's imminent rapture to take place. But until then, it's crucial that awakened believers and watchmen work intentionally on the things the Lord has called them to do in their respective sphere of influence. That said, I'd like your take on what should watchmen and all Christians be doing while we wait? Well, I've developed, uh, and this comes a little bit from this documentary film I've been working on for the last year and a half about technology in the end times. But I, I'm, I believe that we should have an urgency about evangelism. Agreed. I believe that uh, knowing that the time is short, and honestly, for each of us, we don't know the time of our last breath. Aren't we glad we don't know that day or hour or time or minute? And so we're to work no matter what. But when we see the signs happening around us, It tells us the time is short. It also tells us the world is going to be uh, rejecting the scripture. There's going to be an angst against uh, the faith and against Christianity and Christians in, in general. A lot of people, they don't want to be rejected. That's the number one reason why the church is not out witnessing to the lost, because uh, we don't want them to reject us. Maybe that's why we've turned to to the feel-good elements of the gospel, and we want to present those. 
but we don't want to approach things with um, words like sin or judgment or, you know, or hell. And we don't want to talk about those things, but those are realities. And I think it's, it's absolutely imperative that the church recognize that the, the giving of the gospel, the evangelism of the lost, the, the, the work that we're to do is just not for the people who are in so-called full-time ministry. It's for every single person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That in itself uh, is something that makes a lot of Christians, they may not say it outwardly, they, you may not see them quiver, but it does make them very nervous when they recognize that's what we're called to do. And I tell you what, it is the greatest work. It is the most fulfilling work. Uh, it's just not for the people who are in full-time ministry. It's for everybody to understand uh, the gospel to some extent, and we don't have to be Bible school experts to do it. We, we just need the passion to see the lost saved, because Amen. without us giving them the full gospel message, letting them know the repercussions of what, it, what it's like to, to go into eternity without Jesus Christ, I mean, without us doing that, well, who could be saved? Well, we're the ones that have the message. I've always said that the, the angels in heaven would be uh, far more uh, obedient servants to give the message out, but instead God gave it to us to do. And that, to me, is an honor, and it's also a great responsibility. That's well said, Eric, and such a powerful speaker, but also a well-known author. And when we come back the next segment, we're going to be talking about your book, Disarming the Powers of Darkness, Fearless Conquerors and Spiritual Warfare. Stick with us. We'll be right back for more on A View from the Wall. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. I'm Dylan Burrows here with Scott Townsend. We've been talking with Eric Barger. And as we continue our topic today, we want to talk about his book, Disarming the Powers of Darkness, Fearless Conquerors and Spiritual Warfare. And here's a little bit from the back of the book. It says, Scripture is clear. The spiritual battlefield is real and the enemy is determined. But most Christians are ill-equipped and unprepared when attacked. And even fewer are on the offensive. Still others write off spiritual warfare as irresistible relevant today, while on the other extreme, some credit Satan for every imaginable problem in life. The purpose of this book is to provide biblical balance and clarity in order to establish a proper battle plan, exposing the enemy for who he really is, and showing Christians how to win this war with the spiritual weapons already at their disposal. I'm excited to get into this book more and talk about it, but tell us a little bit about the story behind it and what you want readers to get out of it, Eric. Talk to us a bit about it. Well, this book was actually part of another project, and uh, when we got into it, we realized, hey, we've got two different books here. We already had it broken up into two sections. We recognized that we wanted the books to be readable, so they had to be smaller. This is a 150-page hardback, which uh, is a that's a clue that the, the publisher expects it to be around a long time, which I'm glad for. And I have a terrific publisher and just so thankful for Jeremiah and those at Aniko Press because, really, he's... He's an evangelist with a publishing contract. That's what I've called That's him anyway. Great. And so they see this book as something the church needs to be more equipped to um, to go into the world and do the work that we're supposed to do. We were just talking about. So it's um, um, it's a, I, I'm very happy with it. I took about oh three months or so uh, two years ago and rewrote and updated and added to and so on. Took the original manuscript and worked on it, and we're really happy with. Uh, 
with this this particular version of it. So it's been out a while, been out now in this version a couple of years. I hope people will get it. They can get that at our website at ericbarger.com, by the way, in the, in the secured bookstore we have there. Eric, we focus a lot on balance at I Am a Watchman. So we appreciate it that it's such a prominent theme in your book, which I am reading, by the way. Watchmen can become so involved in defending the faith that they become completely consumed with the warfare aspect. By the very definition of a watchman's calling, they see. Therefore, watchmen see what others may not see. They see first. They see more clearly from their vantage point, and they connect the dots by knowing the convergence of Bible prophecy plus current events we see in plentiful evidence in our world today. Let's talk about that balance for a minute. How can watchmen live out their calling but not become too focused on the enemy to the point it's all that they talk about or study? And to be more specific, we're hearing more pastors and Bible prophecy teachers admonish the church that we should not look for the Antichrist, but Jesus Christ. What are your thoughts on where our focus should be today? Well, that's there's a couple of things in, in your, your question there, Scott, and I think that the last one, uh, let's be looking for Jesus Christ. Uh, we may see the signs of uh, evil that eventually becomes the Antichrist system around us, and that's part of the signs of the day we're in. But we're to be watching for Jesus Christ, and when, when Paul makes that statement to Timothy, and uh, does it a couple times in his writings to, to watch and be watchful, let's, uh, let's remember it's Jesus that's coming. Um, and I'm a premillennial pre-trib believer, and I don't argue with people about the, the pre-trib, post-trib arguments and so on. People have different views and different opinions. I believe the scripture clearly gives us a view of pre-trib, and, and so I teach that. But if we get uh, too engrossed in any particular area, to kind of go to your second or your first point that you ask about, uh, we can get out of balance. Uh, early in the book, I talk about the 90-10 approach, and um, that is that uh, spiritual warfare itself, uh, that term has kind of been absconded with by some people who who say, well, because we fight in spiritual warfare, we're going to take over the planet and we're going to you know, bring Jesus back after we've cleansed the planet. That's, of course, Kingdom Now teaching. That's not at all what I'm talking about here. This book is a book about personal victory. And I think we understand that if we are not ready to help others, uh, if we ourselves are not in a position where we, we look at our lives and say, you know, there's no open holes in my armor, so to speak, then we can't help others. That's why the 90-10 approach is important. 90% of spiritual warfare is uh, you and I and the listeners living in, in personal victory. And maybe, maybe 10% of it is dealing directly with the demonic. This is not about demon busting necessarily, although mm -hmm. the demonic certainly comes into play. And we're in a war, and the scripture makes that very clear, that we are in a war, and it's not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness, Ephesians chapter 6 teaches. So um, I try to keep us in balance to remember to always be examining our own lives, and I think that's good in, um, in any aspect of our Christian walk to examine uh, what we believe at any given time, why we believe it, how we practice our Christianity, are we doing the work of God? Because um, and just as much as we could commit a sin or do the wrong thing is that we could omit doing the right thing. And so it's important that we keep it all in balance. 
Well, that's a good word. And uh, to be honest, that idea of balance often gets out of focus. The themes that are extreme get the most attention, and that's why Hollywood understands this. Uh, you look at even prophecy writing or videos today that get into these obscure topics about the deep state or aliens or conspiracy theories. These are the things that sometimes prophecy experts get known for, but that's not what it's all about. And we want people to understand that. So give our listeners a few tips to know where to focus and how to avoid the temptation to chase the fringes when it comes to studying Bible prophecy? Well, I, I think uh, one of the main things is just to recognize that we do have an enemy. And, and again, we could be very easily sucked into the idea that we focus in on the enemy instead of on, on God himself, on Jesus, and on the truth. But uh, to understand that we have an enemy, because there is an out-of-balance teaching that's been around for a long time here, ever since liberalism infected the original evangelicals, who, by the way, today are called the mainline churches. They were the evangelicals 100 to 150 years ago. Right. But, uh, that was to do away with hell, to do away with Satan, to do away with demons. Don't talk about it. Don't, you know, it's all, it's all things that we shouldn't discuss and talk about. Well, no, that's, that's out of balance, too. Let's keep it in balance. So just recognizing we have an enemy, recognizing that his job is the same as it was the day before we got saved. I make this statement in the book. His job is still the same. He still wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And he certainly wants to deter us from being who God has called us to be, which is the victors in Jesus Christ sharing the truth with the world that they would be saved. So I think it's important we keep it all in balance, that we uh, contend for the faith, Jude verse 3, that we resist the enemy. And if, the Bible says if we'll resist him, he will flee from us. And each and every one of us at some point is in a spiritual battle. Uh, we, we've been in them, and, and we understand that. And, and I don't want in any way to downplay that, but sometimes some folks, they're always under oppression. They're always being attacked. And every time you speak to particular people, it's like, oh, the devil's really doing it to me today. And I'll, I'll just say, wait a second, get this in balance and remember who you are in Jesus Christ. That's a, maybe that's an overused statement, mm -hmm. but I don't know a better way to put it that if I understand who I am in Christ, I am on the winning side. I'm a victor in him. I'm not perfect, and I'll not always be correct about everything, but I know that if I'm in him, I can't go wrong. And that's been one of the greatest learning opportunities for me in my uh, faith walk, Eric, is learning about my identity in Christ, because it's really mind-numbing to get your head around the whole thing. It's it's just truly transformational. The, the older we get in the Lord, the more we begin to understand that our identity is completely different, I think, than many of us walk in uh, reality in our day-to-day -day faith journey, because there's so much more to our faith than we give it credit for sometimes, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Man, that's exactly right. I don't think people can hear what you just said enough. And uh, that's that's what we need to approach this. And if we'll recognize that, it also gives us more confidence when the time comes and the chips are down, so to speak, and uh, we have the opportunity before us to share Christ with someone and to, to make a difference in their life. You know, everybody we meet is in a different stage of their walk toward or with the Lord. And so mm -hmm. we can be an encouragement to them. We can be a part of the, the, the watering, if you will, of, of the word in their life. And occasionally we're the one at the, at the end of that journey where they finally surrender to Christ. And of course, we all want to be there, but usually we're in, we're in one of those stages of planting and watering instead. And we need to be encouraging people to have the right perspective along the way. 
As you know, we like to end each podcast uh, by asking our guests to speak a word of inspiration, encouragement, and actually challenge into the thousands of watchmen and watchwomen who join us for these broadcasts. Erica, I'd like to give you the floor. What would you like to say to our community? If God can save me and save me from where he saved me from, and if God can redeem my wife and take her uh, out of the, the world of witchcraft and the things she was involved with, she was a drug user and I was an addict. If he can take us from that, and by the way, I had what the world calls good. All my peers wanted the, the kind of success and so on that I was having experiencing in those days. But if God can save us, then he can save anyone. And if God can then use us, he can use anyone. Who would have thought? Because we didn't have a, a clue about, about uh, who Jesus really was, even though both of us were baptized in churches when we were young and, of course, different churches. We didn't, we didn't know each other in those days, nor did we have any clue about Christianity when we got married. But God saved her and then me and called us. If God can do that, then he can use anyone who's listening and use them in mighty ways that I'll only dream of, of, of uh, ever being used in. And I will applaud all along the way as God uses those who are listening. Beautiful. Well said. Well, thank you again, Eric, for joining us at A View from the Wall. And we want you to know that you can get more information about Eric's ministry at ericbarger.com. That's Eric, B-A-R-G-E-R.com. You can sign up for his newsletter, watch videos, order resources, request Eric to speak at your church even. So please take a moment to check that out today. And we also want to encourage you to check out IamAWatchman.com and subscribe to our email for all the latest. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube or our podcast on SoundCloud.com. Thanks for being with us and join us next time on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.